Do you want to say hello first or should I? No, I'm very happy to say hello first. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks, Philip. You? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Had a good week? It's been a fun and interesting week. And part of it was lovely because you and I and Russell finally got together for a proper chat in real life. We did. I've got to tell you, he's shorter than I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting. I was thinking about how during lockdown, people have met online for all kinds of reasons. And then you read all the stories in the press about what it was like when they met up for reals. And we're quite lucky that after working together now for over a year and with plans for future work together we all got on okay i don't think i've read any newspaper stories about what's happened when people have met up for reels i think is that a thing it is a thing i think you and i might read very different stories in the news altogether to be honest quite possibly but the other thing is we've been working on our new patreon which has been interesting it is nice though because as this is the last episode of series three and we're obviously planning series four and as lockdown is slowly being eased and we're able to think about live events that's really nice as well so that's something to look forward to can't wait but also with the patreon that we've set up it means that between the series we can still put out content and stay in touch with our listeners and they can get in touch with us it means the listeners can be kind of proactive with what they want from the show that's quite nice like we're all working on it together and because they're donating to help keep the show going then any nachos we ship bacon chef. I'm very impressed with your use of your dish there, I'll be honest. Thank you very much. It's so topical because this week's guests are my friends, Jamie and Ellie, who are possibly better known as Yidlife Crisis, a brilliant comedy web series about two naughty boys and it's all in Yiddish and it's fantastic and I was quite excited to bring them on the show. It's a really lovely episode. I've listened to it a couple of times actually. Probably I've listened to this more times than I've listened to most of the episodes that we've done and I still don't, mainly I listen to it all those extra times because there's so much Yiddish. I think I'm relatively clued up. I know that a mezuzah is that little thing you've got on the front of your house that tells people in the street that your house is Jewish. But I don't know, like shaygets. What's a shaygets? I think the literal translation is a non-Jewish man. It's a bit of a slur, but sometimes it's used affectionately, like in a cheeky way, to mean naughty Jewish kids who don't obey the rules of the religion. Oh, okay. So hang on. I've got a Yiddish dictionary here. Bear with me. All right, there we are. Shay gets. Oh, it's a picture of me. <laughs> so Shay gets, I understand. Uh, chaloshes. What's that one? Okay, so first of all, it's not chaloshes like galoshes. It's not Wellington boots. It's chaloshes, which is something really disgusting. Like Wellington boots. <laughs> like Wellington boots after a long hike. You could say those galoshes are chaloshes. Okay, what was another one? Um... Ashanda. Ashanda is like a scandal or an incident of massive shame. Okay, so that's Ashanda. Now, this one's a bit of a tongue twister. Trafer Dicker Dreck. Have I said that right? Trafer Dicker Dreck. Trafe is not kosher. So Trafer Dicker is like the adjective of a non-kosher thing. And Dreck is like rubbish. So Trafer Dicker Dreck is like non-kosher rubbish. But also sometimes in my school, they would use that to describe what we were interested in if it was outside the parameters of what they approved of. So I do remember bringing in a ring binder for one of my subjects and it had a picture of Bart Simpson on the front. And I'm pretty sure one of the teachers said it was Trafer Dicker Dreck. But that's also because Bart is always being told to not have a cow man for at least four <laughs> hours after a milkshake. Well done. <laughs> so I think I might know with, with this one then, because 
if we're talking about kosher non-kosher, I, I think I do recognise heksha as a word. That's the um, the stamp of approval, isn't it? The kosher, uh, what's it? Certification. C- that's right, for heksha, isn't it? Yeah, heksha, kosher certification, which is what at least some of our episodes would be likely to achieve, <laughs> but maybe not all of them. Not the Trafer Dickadrek ones. They're going to go on our Patreon. Absolutely. All right, so good. I think I've generally got a sense of the words that I'm going to hear when I listen to the episode again. It is a lot of fun, this one. Really funny. A lovely way to end the series. So off we go. On with the show. This episode of Duke Talking to Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox and I love cooking. Kasha Varnishkas with Gedempter Fleisch and Krupnik with Flunken. And I'm Reform and I love eating what she just said, uh, I imagine, if I knew what it meant. Uh, this show is the audio equivalent of Salvador Dali. Bold, surreal and sure to make you feel like time is melting away. In each episode, we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they Hollister or Hollishkas? Welcome to Jew Talk Enemy. Let's introduce our guests. Ellie Battalion and Jamie Elman have many strings to their bows. They're actors, writers, directors, and a composer and musician, respectively. But they may be best known as Laser and Jaime from the cult hit web series, Yid Life Crisis. It's Ellie and Jamie. If that's what we're best known for, eh, <laughs> I'll take it. Do you want to correct it? No, no, that was great. That's what I want to, let me be bound to him now. I want a beautiful <laughs> Jewish answer as well. If that's what we're best known for, fine. It could be worse. It could be much worse. Yeah. Jewish. What are the worst things you're known for? You think I'm going to disclose that in public right now? <laughs> well, that is a good way to start. The other way we usually start is to say that regular listeners to the podcast know we always like to find out how our guests self-define as Jews. So you already know that Rachel is Orthodox and I'm Reform. But Ellie, let's start with you. What kind of Jew are you? Uh, I'm a, a gino, Jew in name only. Um, <laughs> now that's not at all true. I'm a PJ, I'm a professional Jew. I play a Jew <laughs> on television, podcasts, but after a long work day, I take off all my clothes and I get very goyish. Uh, <laughs> and I sleep totally goyish. So you're a Jew nine to five? I'm a nine to five Jew and five to nine, so goyish. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. No, I, I was brought up traditional. I, uh, you know, it's fill in level, but uh, now I don't really practice any of that but let's just say I'm very aware of the right thing to do I like the idea that you've got like proper Jewish guilt about it so you've set yourself free from the activity but not the guilt yeah oh yeah that that remains that remains that's being stored up in my fat tissue (laughs) and what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently I mean I find it funny in a very sick kind of way but I, I literally had to call the local rabbi to find out whether or not I should take off the mezuzah on my front door because there were threats against Jews that were identifying themselves as Jews in the Montreal area. It's not particularly that funny, but it's very Jewish. Very classic Jewish, isn't it? What did the rabbi say? She said, nah, chill out, chill out. (laughs) And she was right. Which also, by the way, classic is that we're very on edge about that potential threat. But that threat did not seem to materialize in that particular way. Although I think it materialized in other ways. We can get into a lot more about this. I mean, I thought that was a little bit scary for a moment, but now we can find the comedy in it. The only time that I asked a similar question question was when there was a spate of schnorrers like people wanting charity who were like constantly knocking on the door because we live quite near the synagogue so at that point i thought maybe we should ask the rabbi if we should take the mezuzah down that 
that's a very good point. In fact, you would have the dual benefit if you were to remove the mezuzah of avoiding both anti-Semites and the schnorrers, which I think is a better lifestyle. Frankly. And so being we- called anti-Semites by schnorrers, <laughs> it's a win-win-win if you take down the mezuzah. I don't mean it. Mine's still up. You shake it. <laughs> well, Jamie, what kind of a Jew are you? What kind of Jew am I? Well, you know what? This is sort of that thing where you start uh, quoting yourself when you think you're so clever. But I'm going to do it right here. If it sounds cocky, I'll say it was Ellie's idea since he came up with the title of the show. But I'm a crisisian. Okay. That's, that's what kind of Jew I am. Yeah, I'm living in the crisis, you see, for the last seven years. It's a crisisian style of Judaism. I was raised traditional conservative Zionist, like most of the Jewish kids of my generation uh, from Montreal. Then around uh, when I turned 18, I started a fairly rapid descent into cultural or secular Judaism, which then disintegrated into devout atheism and uh, Dawkinsian thought or Hitchensianism. I was referencing Christopher Hitchens, my rabbi Christopher Hitchens, Oliver Shalom and Richard Dawkins, who's not there. <laughs> but I'm now comfortable just sitting miserably in the crisis. And so I, I've come to call myself a crisisian. That's beautiful. And what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? So uh, I'm here in my parents' uh, kitchen in Montreal. I actually live in L.A. But in order to come visit them, as you, your listeners may or may not be aware, there's been a quarantine, an imposed government quarantine here in Canada when you cross the U.S.-Canadian border or if you come in from anywhere, two weeks, 14 days. And it starts with having to go to a a government-mandated hotel somewhere near the airport for one to three days while you wait to receive your COVID results from the test you took at the airport when you landed. Now, I am, thank God, Baruch Hashem, double vaccinated, okay? So I went to the uh, to the hotel and they charge insane exorbitant rates to stay, which includes your meals. And the food that they brought was just halushas. It was a shande. Considering this is Montreal, which is a, on the world stage considered a culinary destination, this was a real shande. So I hadn't had any proper food. I flew into Canada to see my parents. So within 24 hours of getting there uh, to the hotel, telling my parents who live just, you know, 20 minutes away that I'm here and the food is, is garbage. My parents came straight to the hotel, broke government rules, broke quarantine, and brought me wonderful party sandwiches uh, from Solly's. Party sandwiches, I don't know if what you call them over there, but this is a thing which Ellie and I have discovered might be a bit more specific to Montreal, or at least the fact that we call them party sandwiches is definitely specific to Jewish Montreal. These are um, white bread sandwiches. Oh, white bread. No, but this is white bread sandwiches where the crusts have been all cut off with tuna or egg salad or the double layer tuna egg salad. That's my favorite, right? Ellie's nodding right now. Double decker. So there's two layers. There's a double decker layer of the tuna and egg salad or there's the tuna on top. I don't even think, Ellie, Solly's is not even kosher, is it? Is it? Okay, never mind. The point <laughs> is either kosher or all Jews just assume it's kosher. It doesn't matter. The point is that was the most Jewish thing. My parents coming to see me, to bring me, to sneak me 
tuna sandwiches at the hotel at the airport. That was that was it. It's just funny because normally, like the so the the border uh, between the U.S. and Canada is actually represented at the airport itself because they have U.S. border guards there before you even fly. So the irony is, normally you'd be concerned about smuggling drugs. Now we're concerned about party sandwiches. That's right. <laughs> this is the world we live in. But I applaud your parents. I was very brave. Very yeah. brave. Yeah. No. I mean, listen. There's some things a Jewish mother is not going to stand and watch me get served this Jewish mothers will go to any lengths to feed our children I spent a very long time in hospital about 20 years ago my family used to bring me food all the time it was mortifying because I can tell you that a British hospital ward which is a temperature kind of comparable to the sun it's not a place for people to bring you uh, chopped liver sandwiches and vacuum packed filter fish and all that kind of stuff it was yeah not fun we have talked on the show before about a celebrity mum who smuggled food to her daughter on a summer camp that was a vegetarian summer camp and the daughter set up a black market of pepperami so trafe meat so there's a history of jewish mothers taking control that's the most jewish thing i've heard and and i'd like to change my answer about what's the most Jewish thing I experienced recently. (laughs) Well, these are tough times we're living in, so we always like to check in with our guests and ask, what's the matter, Bubbler? So, Jamie, what's going on with you at the moment? First of all, any Jew you're going to ask that to is going to answer with, what's the matter? What isn't, right? Let's be honest. That's that's not even a Jewish joke. That's a Jewish value. But anyway, okay, what's bothering me lately? Well, there's, you know, there's the more petty stuff and then there's the heavier stuff, okay? The petty stuff would be like, to continue with my diatribe about landing at the Dorval Airport uh, here in Montreal and having to do the two-week quarantine. So there's a guy sits at the elevator after you check in. I go down the hallway and here's Pierre. He's this lovely uh, Haitian man who's protecting the COVID uh, potential carriers, I guess, in this area. And he tells me as I'm going up to my room, okay, monsieur, I think he said it in either French or what we call in Montreal, franglais, Fringlish, you know, with some combination of English and French. I'll just keep it simple here. He said, basically, sir, you're going up to your room now. Great. Just so you know, you're allowed outside for fresh air here to walk outside into the parking lot twice a day for 30 minutes a day, unless you smoke, in which case you can just go down whenever you need. (laughs) That's a Quebec value, not a Jewish value. So I said, what? Really? Oh, well, it's a beautiful day. I I smoke. Yes. Do you sell them? Can I buy a carton off you right now? So all of this nonsense, this meshugas around the rules that have been going on and how Canada has handled the pandemic in general has been that that's a little bit of tsuris. When you say, what's the matter, Bubala? The less funny stuff is the Jew-on-Jew war going on on social media that's driving me nuts. It's bad enough that everyone else on Jews, your regular run-of-the-mill social media pogroms. But when you have the Jew-on-Jew violence going on, and I mean virtual violence, not actual violence, we, we don't do that. That's been disturbing and upsetting and annoying. But we don't have to dwell on it. I just put it out there. I don't want to necessarily dwell on it if you don't want to, but is this social media abuse aimed at you or just that you're witnessing Jew on Jew around you? We have experienced uh, pushback uh, over the years from various things we've posted, but 
I'm actually saying it more from the uh, perspective of watching it unfold. We've put our foot in the water to a certain extent, but you see, like I said, I'm, I'm a crisisian Jew. I live in the crisis of being Jewish in the modern world. I wish I had the uh, uh, self-assurance of the Jews on the, to the right and left of me that are so confident in the things that they're saying to each other about the definitions of anti-Semitism or Zionism or Israel, but I don't. That's not funny either. Ellie, you better have something funny here. It's not funny. The internet at the moment is on fire, particularly Twitter, I think. Yes. I think we're also a little bit offended that we weren't called out in any way or reference or no hashtags about us whatsoever in this whole conflict we feel left out uh, no one changed your names to include some kind of bodily function they didn't even put you know the echo brackets around us which uh, you know it, it, it's offensive we we like to think of ourselves as comedy spokespeople and peacekeepers very much implicated in this and, and they haven't come for us yet so that's very disturbing there was a hashtag that was started briefly uh, hashtag cancel Ellie at Yidlife but I started it and it had nothing to do with <laughs> oh, it. I thought it was an Italian thing, like cancelli. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was like cannelloni or something. I thought it was cancelli. Ellie, maybe if you want to be included more in these things, why don't you start your own hashtag that would do it? Something like hashtag me too? Try that. That's, that's going to work for you. You first. <laughs> Who's done the me Jew hashtag yet? I think it has uh, been done. I'm sure it's been done. I know it's been done. I'd like to know, though, since, uh, you know, your your fellow Jewish comedians out there on the Internet with uh, the at symbol ahead of Jew talking over there on our screens here. So what are you seeing out there? How has it been for you? I'm just I haven't really talked about this with people who are out there. I know what you're talking about, the fart emoji for uh, our sister Eve, Eve Barlow mm-hmm. um, and all that. So I. But where are you guys? What have you seen? I had a death threat. That was nice. Oh, you're so lucky. I had like loads of little nonsense. And then I had a really nice long message that they were coming for me. And I've handed that on to the right people. That was quite a top level of things that have happened to me online. With me, it's kind of gone in patches. Like over this current, I'm going to call it skirmish in the Middle East. There's been little bits and pieces, not so horrendous. But in the UK, it's been more like if I do something big on the radio, if I do something very public, then suddenly people get on board to chime in on that kind of thing. And I'm the host of a big event here called Hanukkah in the Square, which is in Trafalgar Square. And there was a Twitter campaign about the fact that I was forcing Christianity out of Britain. That was quite exciting. There was which a lot of incredible comments. multitasking, if you think about it, to host an event and to purge the yeah, UK. Yeah, I was cancelling Christmas. That was the main thing. I was cancelling Christmas because obviously it was around a similar time and I actually put out photos of me on the stage but like a, a selfie so I was standing um, with my back to the audience you could see like 6,000 people but you could see that the Christmas tree is still up the Christmas fair and market is still going on and I said if you wanted to come to Hanukkah in the square and sing carols around the tree you could it's fine we're just doing fun and music or whatever free donuts like come and join us but cancelling Christmas was what I was accused of that was quite major and so, so the Christians didn't respond to free donuts I mean, I responded to free donuts. I would have been there. I would have been there. I Um, like how she was accused not only of cancelling Christmas, she was cancelling Christianity. Christianity! Purging Purging it from England! Yeah, people like me. And uh, someone said to me in that Twitter thread, what if we start letting all the ethnic minorities celebrate their holidays in the middle of London? And I said, well, if they're giving away free food, it'll be brilliant! But that answer didn't go down well. Yeah, you're George Soros-funded donuts. 
donuts were clearly <laughs> very, very malevolent. I ate a lot of them to check. I've had no hate on social media, with the exception of TikTok, because I reply to the trolls. I, I troll the trolls back. And so yesterday I did get some death threats from someone who very quickly then deleted everything they'd sent. But Sorry. Hey. I know where you are. But I've had very little on social media, and Jew Talkin hasn't received any hate. A couple death threats between the four of us. That's half a death threat per person. <laughs> I just don't think that's a reasonable ratio, given how hard we work at this sort of thing. At one point, we did think that we were getting horrible emails because auto-responsive type emails start to us Dear Jew, and we got quite excited when we saw that. But it turned out it was like, Dear Jew, your subscription right. for yeah. Encast. <laughs> yeah, some, sometimes it's more generic. It's, it's like, Dear Jew, a change is coming. And you think, <laughs> well, that, you know, read on. I yeah, want to know no, what change. We understand completely. We've gotten Dear Yid. Dear Yid. Wow. We're, <laughs> we're looking for you or something. Um, okay, before I let you ask whatever it is you're gonna ask next, I wanna know a follow-up question, Phil, if I can. Give me an example of something you trolled, you know, when you trolled um, the troll. I'm not sure how good I feel about this because politically with Israel, I'm quite middle, you know, I want peace. But when you do a video on TikTok or something, or you're doing a live on there and the only thing people comment are free Palestine. And then I say something back like, oh, I've just given away my last one, but check in next week, I might have another. You don't wanna undermine the situation but also, I don't think they understand how little power I have in the Middle East to free anyone. So it's things like that. I did this video I've spoken about a couple of times about the fact that in the UK they've made a TV drama with a black actress playing the white queen Anne Boleyn. And there's been a lot of upset. And I pointed out that if you're upset about that, you should really be upset about the fact that every depiction of Jesus over the last few years has also been a white guy. And the latest one today, someone posted something saying, well, how would you feel if Sean Connery played Martin? Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Rosa Parks. So I did a reply video to that saying that would be ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, because Sean Connor is dead. Um, <laughs> is he? He, yeah. he died, yeah. He died recently. I checked. I don't put these oh jokes out without researching. But yeah. the, the response from that person, clearly they've not thought through the logic of it. So most trolls don't want interaction. It's a hit and run. They want to say what they want to say and then disappear. Mm. So if you engage with them, which just helps my views, I don't care. I've got the time. So it's things like that. Okay, well done. I mean, when you say you've got the time, I mean, first of all, you, you don't. We I know don't, you I don't, don't have the time. You're no right. one does. And it's more just like, you know, watching the likes of Eve Barlow or whoever it is, just bang their heads against the wall 500 times a day and just get slandered 5,000 times a day and just how many, you know, Hitler was right hashtags can you delete in one hour? Mm. I feel I'm emotionally paralyzed by the whole thing. And of course, I have heard from people about, well, but we can't stay silent. We haven't been silent, but it's like, I also don't have the energy to deal with the, um, the tornado of uh, hate that's out there. And there's also no point because what are you achieving? No one's going to change Nothing. their mind on social media. They're not there Nothing. to debate. Yeah. I had quite an interesting little sequence of trolling. It must have been a couple of years ago where someone started messaging me on Facebook and then I blocked them on Facebook, they moved to Twitter, I blocked them on there. And it was like nice questions about Judaism, but always with a bit of an edge. So there were things like, is it true that Jews really like to look after people just within the community and they'll always prioritize their own community? So it's kind of got a flavor 
flavor of isn't that wonderful but they don't mean isn't that wonderful and like that question in isolation is fine but once it comes with is it true that Jews really like to kind of just promote within their own ranks so like if you're in a business you'll always give a Jew a hand up and loads loads of questions like that and then eventually I blocked him on everything he, he found me uh, through my website he sent me an email that said what makes you think you can block me and you don't want to answer my questions and I thought yeah any benefit of the doubt I'd given you that's gone yeah but now we host a show together and it's fine we've spent the last 10 weeks asking what could be more jewish than interrupting our own show but now we know because nothing could be more jewish than worrying about the perception of interrupting our own show to talk about money as well as reminding you that back episodes of the podcast are available on all the usual platforms as well as our own website jewtalkingtome.com we also wanted to let you know that our patreon is now live this is your chance to support the podcast in return for which we'll keep doing what we've been doing as well as putting out extra content just for you this could be bonus episodes behind the scenes footage exclusive access to live events and the upcoming launch of our brand new Jew Talking to Me merchandise. To find out more, just go to patreon.com forward slash Jew Talking without the G. Go on. It's what your mother would want. And now back to the show. Let's just keep doing this. Yeah, you asked what's the matter, Bubbler, but only to oh, Right. It's Ellie's turn. Ellie, how about you? What's the matter, Bubbler? Everything, but particularly this this COVID shtick, everything that Jamie had to go through, I take as a personal offense. He's a citizen of Canada, okay? He shouldn't have to be held up in a special government hotel where he can't even get taxpayer party sandwiches. He has to get them delivered and smuggled by his parents. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Meantime, our, our vaccination are way behind schedule. I think you're on a pretty good schedule in the UK, but here in Canada, we're way behind. I actually just had the opportunity last night to try to accelerate mine and I went in and everything worked and my Medicare card worked and everything. I was able, folks, to move it from August 25th to August 19th. <laughs> yes, folks. But by the same token, what is just a complete lack of consistency in any of it, and that people are just walking into any place. And on a given day, you can walk into this place or that place, and they will vaccinate you, no questions. And so the whole thing kind of reminds me of like kosherness. I, I don't know, maybe maybe on the front side, there are some hard and fast rules. But for many of us, it's just very improvisational. So this feels like a very improvisational kind of kosherness in the way the government is approaching vaccination and COVID. So it, uh, you know, gets under the old skin. It is very frustrating. And it does seem to be there's no rhyme or reason to quite a lot of this stuff. And also our, our prime minister just got back from visiting you guys, right? Yeah. He really uh, loved my party sandwiches, actually. He did, he they, did. Oh, you, you had them over? Very nice. And uh, I've been trying to read a little bit about how it all went. I don't think it went that well, though. Ellie, how did it go when we sent our delegation over there? I haven't been uh, au courant about that. I know in general, there's always a scandal wherever he goes somewhere. He ends up dressing like someone there. Right. Cultural appropriation. So maybe he dressed like the Queen Mother and there was a cultural appropriation issue around that. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I mean, she's pretty much wearing a coffin, the Queen Mother. Right. But I think if I'm following this logic, it's that they couldn't cancel all of the COVID restrictions or everything until after he got back from this trip. Otherwise, people like me would be like, because you got to skip it just because you went. So in fact, he's in a government mandated hotel right now in Ottawa. Our prime minister is not double vaxxed. Okay, let's move on. It's too annoying. Who's bringing him sandwiches? He needs them. Justin Judo. Amy's parents. My mother just drove to Ottawa. <laughs> 
I have a Canadian Prime Minister joke to share Please. with you. It's all about party sandwiches because lots of Canadians are making bread with gluten-free ingredients, but in the Prime Minister's home, it's Justin Trudeau. <laughs> I had to take a good beat to understand. Yeah, that, I'm not saying it's not a thinker. Yeah, I've thought on it. You should see him at gigs where he's like, he tells the joke and then he says to everyone, okay, it's a thinker and waits five minutes. I I respect that. I it's, respect it's that. the best way to tell three jokes in a 20 minute set. <laughs> you just give them all the thinking time they need. <laughs> I'll wait is my catchphrase. Love that. <laughs> or you could be like the old Larry David thing where he'd get up in his early days of comedy of stand up right and there's the stories of him walking up on stage taking one look at the audience and going nah <laughs> no <laughs> no and he's out if that happens in the uk there'd be like 20 comedians on that stage replacing you before you'd even like it's really put a foot on the steps but here's a quick question for you what is the british thought about larry david like is he generally loved or he's like meh Take him or leave him. I think he's loved as Kirby Enthusiasm, Larry mm. David. I don't think we know much of his stand-up or any other, obviously Seinfeld and Kerb. Real comedy fans really love him. I can say in this house, I love him. And my husband can't even be in the room if I'm watching Kirby Your Enthusiasm. He finds the cringiness of it just it's impossible. It's just painful. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hilarious. I'm kind of frustrated with his wife in the show, in Kerb, because I think they've been married this long. She must now be able to say, no, just stop there, because I, I see what you've done let me explain what's happening and that's the episode done in five minutes yeah but then it wouldn't have 11 seasons if it were that easy then you would be worth two billion dollars or whatever he's worth well, that's why i would make a mini series he's made sitcoms there you go we have a show here or a character who has shows here called alan partridge who's a very similar vibe my husband can't be in the room for that either he's a better person than me so he doesn't want these things to happen but is that, is that steve coogan yeah. yeah steve coogan yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a genius He's up there. But we also have newsreaders who are exactly like Alan Partridge. Partridgeisms. It's, it's just right. become a thing. Amazing. Famously, when Steve Coogan is writing and rehearsing Alan Partridge in the writer's room, they have to take breaks from him. Like he has to physically leave the room because he's so irritating and annoying. He does it all in character. Ellie has left the room with me a number of times. Nothing to do with the show, though. No, no. Just when I'm in character, which is always. We can't be in the same room together. It's not from Piddly to dancing. God forbid. Should we do more of the show? <laughs> we could do. I'm a proper Jewish mother, so whenever I meet anyone, my first thought is, have you eaten yet? But I'd like to hear about your Jewish food memories or even your favourite thing to eat. So what about you, Jamie? Well, for sure, of course, growing up Jewish in Montreal in particular, Jewish foods were pivotal, uh, part of the Jewish identity that I, I have in my fabric of my soul. And when I hear the question, one of the most Jewish meals of my childhood that was a recurring meal was our Sunday night family meals at a Chinese restaurant. Jews in Montreal eat Chinese food on Sunday nights. There's other nights, and of course, Christmas Eve is a big one, but even as a regular thing, there were a few years where we would go every Sunday night for Chinese food, and we would spend part of that time going around to the different tables and saying hi to the people that we would run into there. And what made it particularly Jewish was we could eat all of it we want, but if there was leftovers, we couldn't bring home the trafe leftover. You see, you could bring home <laughs> the chicken leftover. This is part of the Yid life crisis. You know, you could bring home chicken dishes, 
that I'm sure my mother knew how to hex her on them at that Chinese restaurant <laughs> you know? or beef. But the shrimp foo young or whatever it was, that's not coming home. You know, that stuff doesn't go in the fridge. It made absolutely no sense. No tray from the house, but Sunday nights, Chinese food. By the way, when we were in uh, London, when we had done Limud UK. That's where I met you at that Limud. Yes. Um, I remember we were there on Christmas Eve. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember, I think we had discovered that they don't do the Chinese thing. I mean, you guys should speak to this, but I think we had, did we end up at a, an Indian or Bangladeshi spot? We sure did, and it felt weird to be in it, even though it was a delicious meal. I remember th- when we were talking that when we got to London, we have to go for some good Indian food when we get there. But it felt a little bit goyish having it on Christmas Eve, I have to admit. <laughs> it was weird, actually, that year, because yeah. normally it is over Christmas, and there is a bit of me thinking, it would be quite nice to have turkey and all that stuff today instead of baked potatoes for lunch, lasagna for dinner. Right. Well, it's all part of the cancel Christmas agenda. Uh, which is the real reason what exists, as we all know. <laughs> True enough. Ellie, what about you? Do you have a favorite food or a memory of a particular meal? I have lots of memories of particular meals, all of which are too rich to even share. But the one that to me is the most Jewish of all, uh, capturing and, and following the spirit of, of Jamie's description of the Chinese, was actually going to McDonald's, which is not, as you know, a Jewish restaurant per se. Uh, it's not even really a restaurant. <laughs> but my point is that I'm talking with different shades of kosherness and improvisation, which is a large part of your life crisis, being kosher-ish growing up. I was allowed to eat at McDonald's. However, I could only have the fish filet. So my memories were being able to go to McDonald's, but only eating the fish filet, which let's be honest, is the poor man's hamburger. Even though it's probably more expensive, it just as a child, you don't want to start and end at the fish filet. You want to go for the hamburgers. You want the McNuggets. The fish filet is pulling the crappy end of the straw, if I can, that's not a term at all. Anyways, that was very much an experience of like, this is what it means to be a Jew in a secular society. You're allowed in and you can enjoy, but you can only enjoy so much. And in this case, obviously, clearly entirely self-imposed. Was it self-imposed or was it your parents? Sorry, parentally imposed. I'm not Quebecois <laughs> society told me I couldn't enjoy the McNuggets, but it was parentally imposed. Interesting. I think that is something that must have rubbed off in their marketing ploy as well for McDonald's because there was a famous advert over here. I don't know if it was an international one for McDonald's where they had lots of different people ordering different things. And my memory is there was an orthodox guy dressed in all the orthodox garb you'd expect. And the phrase was fillet of fish for my wife. That was the phrase. (laughs) They must have made the conscious decision that if we want Jewish people to eat here, we have to let them know there's something they can eat that isn't meat. That's the most Sasha Baron Cohen thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, which is the second time in a row that's come up last week and this week. I spent some time in seminary when I was on my gap year in Israel and we had an American teacher like rabbi for our kosher lessons like about all the different laws to do with kosher food and kosher eating and he kept talking about a fillet and that's not how we pronounce it in English so he kept saying about a fillet this fillet that I thought it was a Hebrew term for certain fish and certain meat and I wrote it in Hebrew in my exercise (laughs) I thought it was like some Talmudic explanation for that particular way that food is prepared. Everyone else seems to know what they were talking about. I was too embarrassed to ever like ask. And it was a really long time into the course. I was only there for two months, but it definitely felt like ages. And then he wrote it on the whiteboard for some reason. He said, and now I'm going to write some quote or whatever. So he wrote on the whiteboard and it 
was fillet. That's all we say here, fillet. And I was like, oh. And I was very relieved. I hadn't ever let on that I didn't know. A tefillah of fish. <laughs> a prayer of fish. A prayer of fish for those that are not acquainted with Yiddishized Hebrew. Right. Well. I mean, I think if your listeners are not Jewish or are Jewish but don't know these Yiddish words, that if they study some of the words we've said in this podcast, they'll know most of the Yiddish they need to just move about their daily lives, I think. Absolutely. Mm. I've told them Kripnik mit Flanken. What else do you need? That's half the battle right there. <laughs> I still don't know what it is. Oh, I'll yeah. make you some. It's amazing. It's not for this weather. It's for the winter. It sticks to your bones. Whenever yeah. I make it, Mark said, this is the food that my great-great-grandmother ate as she schlepped over the Russian steppes in the freezing cold winter with the wind gusting around her and all her jewels sewn into the end of her coat. I can practically taste it. <laughs> I mean, that is very much how I wish to experience my food. So. <laughs> and you yeah. want it to taste like the lining of your great-grandmother's coat. And all my food does. As Jews, we love a broigus. The classic one, of course, being whether we say bagel or bagel. So we'd like to hear about your favorite feuds. Ellie, anything you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I just want to set the record straight at this point, which is um, there is no gray territory here. It's it's bagel, like Baywatch bagel. Excellent. It's also pletzel, not platzel. It's pletzel, like pretzel. There is nothing more to say. I, I just want to park that here, just settle the issue, and so we can all move on with our lives. I mean, you're wrong because I'm from London and uh, that's not what we call them, but that's fine. You're from Essex. That is also true. But I was born in London. I'm a cockney by birth ah. because I was born within the sound of the Bow Bells. And so both with my East End hat on and my Essex hat on, I can definitely say Beigel and Petzl. Is the birthplace of the Beigel, is that what you're going to tell us now? It is. Beigel is the right word. Okay. All right. You're entitled to your opinion. I mean, 100% legal for you to say what you just said. It's also entirely wrong, but it's legal. <laughs> Are we falling out? Is this a Bruegus? Takes more be. than that. This is a pretty big Bruegus. My Bruegus is also about bagels, uh, but it's not mine. I was just going to fill you in on the classic Montreal Bruegus. Uh, you say bagel or bagel. In, in our hometown, the pettiest of all is which is the greatest bagel? The St. Viator bagel shop or Fairmount. These are the two classic Montreal bagel bakeries that have been around, depending on uh, how you time it out. Maybe Fairmount's been around for a hundred years. Maybe St. Vieter opened in, was it 50 something, 56, I want to say, or something like that. And this has been a thing, kind of like your bagel bake and your bagel shop in Brick Lane, which we visited back when we went to Limud. Limud, is Limud UK is Limuduk. Sorry. <laughs> I'm actually pronounced Loimud, but whatever. It's not oh, Limud. you say Loimud, Limud, Beigel, Bagel. Let's call the whole thing boy. To be fair, Americans would try call it Limud. Well, no, but in Montreal, they actually took it that far and renamed it for when the one year that they had it here, Le Mood, like French, The Mood, L E. M-O-O-D. Didn't survive. Too clever. Too clever by half. <laughs> we'll tell them you said it. 
Have we answered the question? No, of course not. <laughs> they beautifully dodged the question. Ellie dodged it. I gave an example of my favorite feud, which is the Montreal St. Vieter versus Fairmount. But the whole point is that I, that it's a ridiculous feud because there are many other wonderful bagels in Montreal, like Bagels on Green or Real Bagel and a whole bunch of other places that we love. So I just want to go on record as saying we love all the Montreal bagels. And we're not dodging it. It's it's a ridiculous broigus. We have the best bagels in the world. That is not negotiable. We've heard about the Montreal-New York rivalry. <laughs> It's not a rivalry. It's not a rivalry, okay? This is a, a, a New York bagel, okay? Uh, for your for your audience that's listening, this is Manischewitz gluten-free. It's holding a Manischewitz gluten-free matzo box. Okay? <laughs> we can describe the audio for you. Thank you. So I, point is, it's they're all wonderful bagels, not bagels, but that's fine. I thought Philip was going to say something, so I was being very carefully quiet to not to interrupt him, but apparently no, he wasn't. It's, not, it's a nice new thing you're trying to not interrupt me, but, <laughs> but I, I have nothing to input. We can relate to you guys, though, because we are also a comedy duo who's had to work over the internet for the last year and a half. Being a duo uh, is very difficult. But I did notice as soon as you held up the Manischewitz and started to talk, and you notice Ellie was starting to talk, you stopped talking knowing something good was coming. So you've clearly synergized. I know how to read him. Remember you said we're like Penn and Teller, right? Well. <laughs> As we said earlier, I met you guys from Yid Life Crisis at Limud a few years ago. But if we think of the idea of six degrees of can't eat bacon, other than me and now Philip, who is your most interesting personal Jewish connection? So if you go into my lineage, or as is known in Yiddish, Yichus, apparently I am related to Isaac Beshevis Singer. But the important part is that in understanding this being told from my family, my bloodline goes back to the person that he divorced. So that's basically, <laughs> that says a lot about me and my family. Wow. That's a cool person to be connected to. Yeah, it's very cool to have divorced Isaac Beshevis Singer. It says a lot about a person. Have you got a favorite Isaac Bashevis Singer book or story? I need YouTube videos, and that's not a joke. So my favorite work of art from Isaac Bashevis Singer is actually not a book. It's a YouTube video because that's the only form of media that I consume. And it's from when he was giving a talk about the value of the Yiddish language when he was receiving his Nobel Peace Prize or Literature Prize. Ah, throw in the Peace Prize too. Getting both prizes. It was either at the event itself or like some dinner before the event where he was just talking about the value of the Yiddish language. And it, it stood the test of time. Like it, it could have been told today and it would be equally funny and poignant. Jamie, how about you? Who's your most interesting personal Jewish connection? Well, I am actually close friends and business partners with a guy whose bloodline connects to Isaac Bashevis Singer. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie, did you see it coming? Ellie, did you see that coming? Okay. If I get a nod from him, that's very good, by the way. I smiled mildly, which means that it was a hit. <laughs> no, actually, I, my grandmother's, my maternal grandmother's cousin was Steven Spielberg's ex-stepmother. So again, divorced, family divorced from greatness. We were both, each of us, Ellie and I, were close to greatness and then the greatness divorced each of our families. But look, it hasn't helped me per se, but I just know that when you're an actor and like, you know, if, if I do a play at school, like the pajama game or 42nd Street, and they go, you know what? My, our cousin was married to Steven Spielberg's mother. <laughs> 
why did I, you know, you hear that for 40 years. It's like, okay, tell him to call me. You know what you guys know already? That one day when you're 120 and your time is up, the Jewish press will mention who you are vaguely related to in your obituary. Yes, I'm looking forward to hearing about the people that say, I was divorced from Yidlife Christ, my cousin. <laughs> Uh, uh, all right, in case any of the women in our lives are listening, let's just stop that. We're really intrigued to hear people's favorite Jewish, Yiddish, Hebrew words. So in a section of the show we've decided to call Duolingo, we'd love it if you could share some of your favorite words or phrases with us. Jamie, how about you? So many. I love I love a lot of Jewish uh, phrases, expressions, Hebrew, Yiddish. I got a bunch of them. I've narrowed it down to my top three, I think, for you today. First one I'm going to go with is L'chaim, which is one that perhaps non-Jews have heard. It means to life. And I just love it because Jews spend their lives complaining about everything fetching. You know, like Woody Allen said, uh, humanity is divided into the uh, miserable and like the terrible or whatever, you know. But meanwhile, when we clink glasses, it's L'chaim. And I love that it comes down to uh, being about life. Another one that I've come to really love, then started using more since watching Shtisel, is Shakoyev. They use this a lot uh, for non, non-Jews or but people, people don't know this expression. It's actually a Hebrew expression, which is uh, yasher koach, which is then combined into a single Yiddish word with this pronunciation, shkoyach. And it basically means, and this is why it's a great word to share with your audience, anything you want. <laughs> it means everything. It means thank you, hello, goodbye, get out of here, leave me alone. Shkoyach, very good. And the other one I like is tsuris, which is also actually a Hebrew root word, tsarot, which uh, loosely translates it. There's no good English version of it, really, but it's it's troubles. And I like to think of my motto in life as being the word tsuris written out in transliteration, yivo transliteration, I should say, in italics with the red circle around it and the slash going through it, as in no Surus. I always thought uh, Soros was, was Soros. To me, it always felt like a direct translation almost. He had Soros and Soros. Is that George Soros. Okay, Ellie or Philip, you just made a couple new anti-Semites with that one. They already had it in I, I figured we were running low. Always maintain the quota. Ellie, how about you? Do you have a favorite word? In fact, it's actually an expression of three words together. Tuchis oifen tish, which actually is a, a mix of Hebrew. Tuchis comes from tachat, which means under in Hebrew. But tuchis means buttocks oifen upon tish table. Buttocks on the table means... Bottom line. So Tuchus Tish, how many questions we got left? You know what I'm saying? It's like going right for it. I've never heard that expression. That is not one that was used in my family. Okay, well. I love it. <laughs> it's yours. Shkoyah, shkoyah. Not to be confused with Tuchus and Fish, an entirely different experience. Does that mean your bottom on a fish? I think technically it does. A fillet of fish. A fillet of fish. A fillet of fish. Well, that's nearly all we've got time for. But how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you don't write? Normally, we'd allow 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 30. Jamie, how can our listeners find you? For you, 30? We'll take it. Maybe I'll take 15 and Ellie will take 15. Everyone should definitely go check out our flagship Yiddish language web series, Yid Life Crisis. 
at yidlifecrisis.com. All of our three seasons are available to watch there. They are subtitled beautifully with English subtitles. And in fact, hopefully in the next few months, we're going to be releasing the French subtitles and even Arabic subtitles on Yidlife Crisis. We're going to debut that, we hope, this year. You heard it here first, or at least second or third. I don't know if I've said this anywhere. We mentioned our trip to London, and we went to the Beigel Bake and the Beigel Shop. You could find all of our adventures in London, as well as Tel Aviv, Krakow, Houston, Texas, New York City, uh, and other cities in our Global Shtetl series. All of that is at our website, yidlifecrisis.com. Ellie. Oi, Gewalt. All I would add to that beautiful litany of email addresses and websites and what have you is we are actually going to be doing a part of a snippet for Canada Day at the lovely Jew3, a.k.a. JW3. And there is an event, which I believe is uh, hybrid, I think live and digital, or maybe it's just actually live, you crazy cats all getting together now. So maybe you guys can uh, put the link in the, the bottom. Now I just force you to do it. For those that are interested, July 1st, it's our Canada Day. You people should have known that. Actually, our listeners do. We had a previous guest, Canadian actor, Kerry Shale, who is also going to be mm. uh, in the event. So we will be promoting and very happily promote you as well. That also reminds me, don't forget to follow us at Yid Life Crisis on all of the socials. We're on Punimbuch, that's Facebook in Yiddish. Oifen Instagram, Oifen Twitter. This is Yinglish, Rachel. It's Yinglish. I'm just I'm saying. following. Okay, yeah. You could troll us. We welcome you to do so on our pages at Yid Life Crisis. I take a beat so I could ask if Rachel needed to interject something. No, I was completely wrong. I thought I was meant to say something and I wasn't. And I realized I was really mortified. But thanks for, <laughs> thanks for raising it. Then, Philip, I also cannot read your partner. As, <laughs> but then again. Well, Philip, let's drink together, shall we? We shall. <laughs> well, I've absolutely loved this. And from now on, I'll always think of Jamie as the Jew who likes to party with his sandwiches. Ellie is the Jew who loves a filet served in a bagel. And Yidlife Crisis as the Jews who won't use a single English word if five in Yiddish will do. Well said. You, you pretty much uh, summed us up. <laughs> As my grandfather used to say, I loved seeing your smiling faces arrive and I love seeing your little tuchuses leave, which is a good thing as we've come to the end of this week's show and our third series. All that's left for us to do is to thank our guests, Ellie Battalion and Jamie Ellman, also known as Yidlife Crisis. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at you talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share the show with everyone you know. And to check out our patreon.com forward slash Jew Talking without the G. We look forward to you joining us for series four of Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin. I'm being prompted by Russell to say something. Yeah, Sean Connery died. Uh, we had to shit shiver. <laughs> yeah. Russell's so proud. <laughs> uh, it's good. Well done. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, Rachel. Nice to see you. Shkoyach, shkoyach. Good Shabbos. Shabbos.